today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. With the problem we have right now, the debt crisis and this pandemic looming uh, and possibly second wave, uh, Canadian households are in a real financial pickle these days. I mean, we've talked about the debt that the government's running up. What about you and me and, and everyone else in our neighborhoods uh, on an individual basis? So how do we deal with all this? Joining us to talk about this is uh, Doug Hoyes. Doug, of course, is with Hoyes and Michaelis Associates. Uh, Doug, always a pleasure to have you on the program. How have you been keeping through the last little while? Well, so far so good, Bill. The sun's shining today, so I'm going to focus on that. All right, let's take it one day at a time, one step at a time, that's for sure. Uh, let's let's talk about individual debt, which, by the way, was a problem for many Canadians before we even heard of COVID-19, Doug. And uh, you look at what's going on here right now with uh, some people losing their jobs, uh, some that are getting called back, not making as much money as they once did. It's uh, It's not a pretty picture here. It's not, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not like COVID is what's caused us to be in debt. Uh, Canadian individual debt levels have been rising for years and years and years, uh, over a decade. So this is just a continuation of that. The the worrisome thing now, of course, as you correctly identified, is a lot of people are not working right now or are working reduced hours, and as a result they are using debt to survive because I still have to pay my rent. I still have to pay pay groceries. Okay, maybe some of my expenses are a little bit less because I'm not driving to work as much, but my basic living expenses are still what they were. And if I don't have a full paycheck coming in, how do I make ends meet? I resort to debt. So I see no possible scenario where debt levels don't increase for those people during this during this period. So, yeah, it's a, it's absolutely a serious situation. Well, and you and I talked about this pre-COVID, and uh, it was well, it was troubling at the time. I'm looking at some of the stats here, Doug, and this this is phenomenal. Uh, for every one hundred dollars of disposable income, the average Canadian household is in debt one hundred and six bucks. So we're six bucks in the hole for every hundred bucks. That was 1999. Now here we are in 2020. And for every $100 of disposable income, uh, Canadian households owe $176. Uh, we're not getting any better at this. No, and part of those numbers, I mean, you gotta, you got to look at every statistic with a grain of salt, obviously, because part of our debt, in fact, for a lot of people, a significant part of their debt is their mortgage. Well, okay, since you know 10 years ago, my house has doubled in value, so I probably have twice as much mortgage debt. But, of course, my income probably hasn't doubled during that same period. But your point is absolutely correct that we are carrying more debt than we ever were before. Now, the, the thing that's worrying me right now is... The banks are being reasonable. You know, if you phone them up and say, look, I can't make my mortgage payment this month, my car payment, my credit card payment, for the most part, they're saying, okay, no problem. We will allow you to defer that payment. We understand what's going on, you know, COVID, bad situation out there. Great. And so in some cases, uh, mortgage companies are going to allow people to defer making their mortgage payments for many months. So that has taken the pressure off today. But what it has done is guaranteed that we will owe even more debt tomorrow because a deferral is not the same as forgiveness. You still have to make the payment. You still have to pay interest. And in fact, if you're not making your payment this month, the balance isn't going down. The interest is still being added to it. So next month, you actually owe more. So if you go through a two or three month deferral period, your amount owing, your total debt is actually going to be higher when this is all done. So 
okay, maybe June, July, August aren't going to be a, se- a serious problem, but what happens in September when the deferral periods are over, hopefully we're pretty much back to work, our incomes have recovered, and now we're carrying even more debt? That's the big worry at this point. The other element to this, is, you know, on the balance sheet, there's debt and there's, there's, uh, there's savings. Uh, and, and again, the, the numbers I'm looking at here are not very encouraging. Apparently, we save about $3.60 out of every $100 earned. Uh, is that because of the debt ratio? Yeah. If, if all of my paycheck is going towards my living expenses, how can I possibly save any money? And certainly, if you look over the last few years and you look at places like Hamilton, Toronto, and so on, housing costs aren't going down or haven't been up to this point. And so my living costs are high. My income's not able to keep up. I've got nothing left for savings. It is interesting that over the last month or two, and the, the numbers aren't fully available yet, but savings rates have actually gone up a little bit because and that that sounds like an encouraging thing part of it's because well maybe i'm not spending as much cuz i'm i'm trapped at home but also people are worried about the future if i'm due to retire in 5 or 10 years hmm, maybe now is the time I'm going to ratchet back my spending. I'm not sure what's going to happen in the future. So savings rates have actually crept up, but I guess that's not hard to do because, as you say, we were saving practically zero uh, to begin with. So we'll see if that trend continues when we're back to work or not. Are we just, as a society, getting far too comfortable with being in debt? Well, I think the yes would be the would be the short answer. And again, whether it's a case of comfort or whether it's a case of we don't have any choice. I mean, if you've wanted to buy a home, you had to get a mortgage. Sure. I don't know a whole lot of people buying their first home for cash. That's that's not a thing. Um, but there's no doubt, you know, you take a look at something like a car. We are spending more on cars um, as a you know, percentage. I mean, they, you, you can't buy a $5,000 brand new car because of all the, the bells and whistles on it. So sure, absolutely, we are, we are more comfortable with debt. But then, let's face it, interest rates have been so low that why wouldn't be, we be comfortable with it? If the government has done everything they could to keep interest rates low, they are encouraging us to borrow. That's what's fueled the whole housing market and our uh, our. Cons- Consumption. So there's 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 two sides to this story. If interest rates start to creep up, which there's no evidence of that happening yet, but if they do, then perhaps that makes it less palatable to borrow. But let's face it: why should I have an emergency fund when I can have a line of credit? And if the bank's going to give me a line of credit at a low interest rate, I don't need to set aside money for emergencies. The bank's there to to lend me money when I need it. Now, of course, I'm being facetious here because a lot of people are now <laughs> discovering that when times get tough, perhaps the bank isn't so willing to give you that unlimited line of credit like they used to be. So I hope that one of the positives of this horrible situation is that we do return to the way we used to think, which is, hey, having a bit of cash in the bank is a good thing. Um, Having no savings is not a good thing. And I, I don't want to, put, you know, start going to this old, you know, wives' tale and this uh, this theory that a lot of people have is that well, the banks are just these cold-hearted people. You know, all they're worried about is their bottom line. But uh, they're being nice now. Uh, is there a point where they're going to say, "Listen, we we've got to, you know, we've got to ratchet it up here because we need our money back." Yeah, I mean, banks are a business, and I, I there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're they're running a business. I don't think anyone ever thought that they weren't. And yes, they are very profitable. And if you look at what's happened with the, their share prices over the last uh, month or two, it's actually done really well. They all crashed in March like everything else, but they've had a 
you know, a remarkable recovery since then. So, yeah, they are there to make their money. And you're absolutely right. They realize that today, if you're not working, you can't pay them back. So it makes sense to give you a deferral. Hopefully, then you'll be able to become a performing loan again in a month or two. So, yes, they are, they are certainly acting in their best interest. They have already started, though, to turn back the dial. If you walk into the bank today or call them up on the phone and ask for a big line of credit, they're probably going to say no, whereas perhaps six months or a year ago they would have said yes. And I'm getting lots of reports from people who are saying, yeah, I I was pre-authorized for a $50,000 line of credit, but now they've turned it back and I'm only pre-authorized for 20 or 30. So the bank has already started to take steps to uh, like I say, turn back the dial, so they're not as free with the money as they used to be. But, but yes, once this, uh, once we get through this period, uh, yes, they will be wanting their money back. That's exactly how it will work. Demographics uh, are one thing, but there's a gender issue with this. Uh, I guess do we officially call ourselves in a recession right now? Let's just call it a financial conundrum, crisis, whatever it might be. But women seem to be harder hit than men in this particular situation. What's going on here? Yes, there. And again, you, you can't overgeneralize, but that is true. If um, you know, if I'm a retail worker, um, which in many you know types of stores, it's more common for a, a woman to be a retail worker than a man. Well, retail stores are shut down. And so we've got this problem. Restaurants would be another example. Is it more common for a female to be a server at a restaurant than a male? Yes, in, in many restaurants that's the case. They're shut down, and so we're, we're in this situation. The other big one is child care. If the schools are shut mm-hmm. down and somebody has to stay home with the kids, it is more likely going to be the mother than the father. So as a result, they have, uh, they have certainly suffered. I mean, obviously men have suffered quite a bit throughout this, uh, throughout this period, too. Um, you know, again, we've got to hope that this bounces back quickly and, and everyone can be back sooner rather than later, both men and women. There's a, a sense of futility that I've heard an awful lot of people the last couple of months, so Doug, they're saying, look, it, this is beyond my control. There's not much I can do about this at all. Uh, you know, we have to wait for things to start to improve to get better before we can start to improve and get better financially anyway. Uh, if, in fact, you do have some wiggle room, maybe you've put a few bucks aside because you're self-isolating and you're not going to the show anymore, certainly. You're, you're not buying football tickets or baseball tickets or anything like that. There's a lot of stuff that we usually do in our lives that is not happening. So maybe there's a few more bucks in the, in the checking account than, than you usually have. How do you prepare yeah, for... You're absolutely right about that, and I think the feeling of futility is an interesting one because that can be both a positive or a negative. You know, you and I, Bill, and and the people who are listening did not cause this virus. This was not something we caused, and so we do have this feeling of helplessness that it's beyond our control. But you're absolutely right as well that we can control what we can control. So I totally agree with you. Take a look at some expenses maybe you're having to spend more money on. Maybe you're spending more at the grocery store now than you used to be because you're making all your meals at home, but you're right. You're spending less at the restaurant, less on takeout, less for all those other things. What can I do to wiggle my budget so perhaps there is a, a little bit extra? And also, what can you do to prepare yourself for exactly. when things come back somewhat to normal? And that's mm-hmm. really the question. And I think a lot of people are going to say, hey, you know what? I've actually learned to cook at home, and maybe I won't eat out quite as much as I did, and I can save some money that way. Hey, I've learned I can walk to the store instead of taking the car. Maybe I can save a few bucks that way. Um, I mean, none of us have had a haircut for three months, 
Is it going to be a case where, well, maybe we all start wearing our hair longer and, uh, you know, man buns become a thing and ponytails and all that? I don't think so, but maybe we all end up buying a pair of $20 electric clippers and, and you know, we keep our hair a little, you know, more trim in between appointments. Maybe we go to the, the hair place, you know, half as often as we used to. What can you do to set yourself up? This is also a great time where you're locked up at home to be looking at what courses can I take? What can I do to be improving myself and improving my my job prospects when things come back. Let's use this time wisely because very few of us get a sabbatical in the middle of our working careers for three or four or five months. If we make the best of it, then hopefully we can we can come back stronger than ever. In a situation like that, and there are, as you say, some, some programs in place. I think the Premier announced something about, you know, uh, like you say, giving us a, a holiday on rent payments or in mortgage payments some other banks are doing right now. If you can do it, do you stay with uh, stay the, uh, the course on this, Doug, or do you say, well, it's there, I'll take it, but knowing that there's going to be a payback for it down the line? Well, and that's the key. There's a payback down the line. So if you're a little bit concerned and, you know, okay, I'm not sure if I'm back to work next week or next month or whatever, then, yeah, take the deferral because you don't have the money to pay it anyways. But if you are able to make the payments, you might as well keep making them because that's just going to save you an interest in the in the long run or at least make partial payments or at the very least keep the money tucked aside. I mean, the other area I'm worried about is with the CERB. You've been getting the, the $2,000 a month, but there's been no tax taken off it. So yeah. when you file your taxes next spring for 2020, there will be many people who will have $8,000 worth of CERB income that they've paid zero taxes on. Well, even if you're in a 20% tax bracket, that's $1,600 in additional taxes that you're going to have to pay next year. That's something I think we should all be thinking about and saying, okay, as soon as I get back to work, maybe I have my boss take a little bit extra off my paycheck. Maybe I start tucking it aside. Maybe I talk to whoever my taxes and figure out what the implications are going to be. There's going to be a lot of people who were expecting to get a $1,000 refund next year because that's what they always get, when in fact, uh-oh, it's the opposite. I'm actually going to owe six or $800. So I think looking ahead to the next six months and the next year and planning your finances accordingly will you know, put us all in good stead. Yeah, that's a great point that you raise. A, a good friend of mine just crossed the threshold of uh, you know, and started collecting CPP after his 65th birthday. And I thought, this is great. Uh, and then found out the following year in tax year, he said, what, I owe tax. Just because the government doesn't take tax off when they give you that money doesn't mean you don't owe tax on it. You're going to have to yeah. pay them eventually. Yeah, and if you've worked a couple of different part-time jobs because maybe you got laid off from one and you picked up a retail job during COVID or whatever, it may be that one job doesn't know about the other. They both think you're in the 20% tax bracket, but by the time you get your taxes done next year, you've actually combined, you're up into the 30% tax bracket. So there's actually more owing. So at the very least, take this year's tax return or tax program or whatever you used and punch in what you think the numbers are going to be for next year. You don't have to file it anywhere, but that will at least give you a ballpark idea of what you might owe. And you're right. The year you retire is often a killer year because you still had your paycheck for part of the year. You might have got some kind of retiring allowance or severance or something like that. And then the CPP uh, kicks in as well and perhaps a company pension. And if tax is not being taken off fully on that, just like your friend is like, whoa, this is a surprise. So the more you can plan for that and be ready, the better. Uh, 
and getting financial advice is always a help too. And if there's financial problems and you're finding yourself in a hole that you just don't even see the top of, uh, you talk to folks like uh, Hoyes and Michaels and they can uh, give you some advice on this. Doug, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this. Uh, stay well and uh, we'll talk again soon. You too. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Doug Hoyes from uh, Hoyes and Michaels and Associates. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.